After a couple of near misses, the 2018 World Cup has had its first real giant killing today. South Korea of all teams defeated Germany 2-0 to deliver a knockout punch to the tournament heavyweights. Speaking of knockouts, it's the first time Germany won't be seeing them since 1938. It's also the fourth time in the past five World Cups that the defending World Cup champion has been eliminated in the group stage. My name is Mitchell Tierney. You are listening to the Footy Talks podcast. And today on the show, Marco D'Onofrio joins me to analyze what has been one of the wildest World Cups in recent memories. Uh, he's the host of Stereo Serie A and also writes for Football Italia and Soccer 360. Marco, thanks for joining the show. Uh, Mitch, thank you for having me on, especially at such an exciting time in the world of soccer. Yeah, exactly. It's it's almost a transitional time right now between the group stages and uh, obviously that does mean elimination for some teams and, and the knockout rounds that, you know, is is win or go home. Um, you know, I think there's there's only really one place to start here on this show uh, before we look out look at the group stages as a whole and that's uh you know, after it looked like Germany had kind of resurrected their World Cup hopes after that late uh, Kroos goal against Sweden, incredible free kick, uh, they just go crashing out in the next game against South Korea. Um, we'll get it a little bit into the why and the how maybe later on in the show because, uh, you know, that, that that's going to take uh, some time to think about. But um, in terms of the what, Marco, what does this mean for the tournament? Because all of a sudden, there's there's a ton of openings now that uh, maybe weren't there before. Uh, listen, this this tournament was unpredictable when it started, and it's proven to be even more unpredictable than anybody could have thought. Um, because you hit the nail on the head when you you mentioned right off the top that four of the last five World Cup winners haven't even advanced past the group stage. Um, and of all of those teams, yeah, it was always surprising, but this Germany team. Many had repeating and becoming the first team since Brazil or whoever it was to win back-to-back World Cups. So um, it's absolutely insane that we're we're talking about them exiting the tournament, especially after their heroics and their response against Sweden, because um, they did in 45 minutes what Italy couldn't do in 180 minutes when Sweden eliminated them, and it it's bizarre to talk about Germany not being in a knockout round match, but. At the same time, it looked like the pressure got to them. And it's weird because of all the heavyweights who are up against the ropes um, in the past few days, whether it was Argentina or Spain or Portugal at moments, Germany would have been the one team that you think had the resilience to get through it all. Mm. And um, today they didn't. And you know what? Uh, The Koreans aren't going through either, but God bless them because they put on a performance today. And you know what? Um... It is what it is, but that's the World Cup for you. Yeah, I don't know if you saw the video, but there was a, a Korean, uh, I don't know if he was a Korean fan or just a Korean expat, or he, he, but he was in Mexico, and they basically put on an impromptu parade for him in the streets of Mexico. Mexican fans, uh, they just found this guy, and one of them hoisted them up on the shoulder, and they they took it all the way to the uh, South Korean embassy. So it's, it's cool to see how uh, you know countries can kind of look out for each other. Obviously, now that... To the knockout stage, maybe that's going to be a little less uh, prevalent, but um, certainly South Korea is is popular in Mexico right now. Um, well, you, sorry, go ahead. Sorry, 
Yeah, sorry to interrupt, but yeah, you're right. Like, imagine if Mexico, after the the first two matches, imagine they would have been eliminated today. And and it very well would have happened if Germany had won goal differential, especially after Sweden um, spanked Mexico today 3-0. A goal differential, they would have been out. That would have been absolutely crazy, especially given the fact they beat Germany of all teams in that first match. Yeah, there's so much to unpack in that group for sure, and uh, we're, we're going to do that in a little bit. But uh, let's start at the top and kind of take a look at, obviously, there's uh, two groups that still are wrapped up tomorrow, although one of them is basically just uh, playing for seeding at this point. Um, but let's let's start with Group A, obviously the group with hosts Russia. Um, Uruguay, they were reasonably dominant in this group. They're the first team since Argentina in 1998 to win all of their group games without allowing a goal. So uh, while they all weren't the most interesting at times, they, they certainly got the job done. Uh, Russia, they, they look surprisingly dominant actually in two of their games and then kind of, uh, you know, came back to what the expectation was of them against Uruguay, but they still are onto the round of 16, of course, against Spain. And uh, Egypt, they still haven't won a game at the World Cup, while Saudi Arabia, uh, they won the first since 94, but uh, both of them are now going home. Uh, Marco, for you, what were the biggest takeaways from this Group A? Uh, one, you're right. Uh, you mentioned that Uruguay's ridiculous defensive record, and, and that is big. Um, that's not to be understated. It is really, really crucial um, and a really telling sign of how good they can be. Um, and, and once their firepower up top gets going, once you got Cavani and Suarez firing on all cylinders, um, it's scary what they can do. And, I mean, we'll, we'll talk about Portugal in a little bit because that's that's who was awaiting them you know, on Saturday. Um, but I, I really believe that this is a strong Uruguay team. Um, I, I actually had Russia in my, in my wife's World Cup I had Russia finishing second just because I thought uh, being at home would really, really help them. I think Egypt um, fans have to be disappointed, though, in the way this tournament played out. Uh, I don't think anybody expected them finishing the way they did. And uh, I know Mo Salah was hurt and, uh, in that that Champions League final. But it's really, really disappointing to see the way they exited, especially after um, the way they qualified and the excitement and the first time in how many years. So it, it is sad to see them go, but it, it is what it is. Yeah, certainly. And uh, moving on to Group B, um, we mentioned uh, kind of one of the narratives of this tournament so far has been uh, big teams kind of being pressed to the limits or put against the ropes. Uh, So far, Germany are the only one who have gone out, uh, have been delivered a knockout blow, but certainly Spain and Portugal in that crazy last day of that group um, were both on the ropes at times. Uh, Iran and Morocco, who are two teams that a lot of of soccer pundits kind of counted out, uh, had a very good showing at this tournament. Iran came, you know, within a side netting of putting Portugal out in Morocco. Um, you know, they'll feel hard done by uh, some of the results that they had considering some of the more solid performances they were able to put in um, in, in this tournament. They just didn't seem to have that final product, whereas uh, veteran World Cup teams like Spain and Portugal, uh, they were able to kind of sneak through this group in some ways. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I'm, I'm a little bit concerned, though, I'll be honest, uh, for, for a, a team like Portugal because I think this this team won the Euro 2016, the European competition. They dominated that competition defensively, and that's how they won that tournament. They, they weren't very excited, um, but we haven't seen that, that same defensive display so far in this tournament. Um, they've conceded f- uh, four goals so far. I mean, yeah, three of them were against Spain, um, 
But Iran, you mentioned, they were very, very fortunate that Iran didn't score that second goal because that would have put them out of the tournament. Um, and at the same time, I also question whether Ronaldo should have still been in the game. I mean, that, that's another talking point um, because I thought he's been absolutely brilliant this tournament. But imagine they had lost him going into that game against Uruguay and, and what chance would they have had? But um, Spain haven't looked great. Uh, I mean, they are the giants that is... Um, Spain, but they haven't looked very good this tournament. I actually had them winning the whole competition, but um, even that's that's very, very doubtful at this point, but we'll see what they can do. And, I mean, Morocco, Iran, Iran more so, like you mentioned, it's heartbreaking because they were so close. Um, but that, that's the World Cup for you. Yeah, it sure is, and uh, picking up on Spain, as you said, they were your pre-tournament pick. I- I'm sure that pick took a bit of a blow, uh, you know, in the in the moments leading up to the tournament, two days before that opening game, when uh, it was announced that Lopetegui would be uh, leaving the team, just a, a shocking decision remains, and uh, you you can kind of see a little bit the the disorganization and the, and the the chaos a little bit within this Spain team, especially at the back. They haven't looked um, especially good this tournament, but. Um, your pick might not be the worst still just because all of a sudden they're on the side of their bracket with uh, a lot of teams that um, some of which we weren't expecting to get to the knockout stage or certainly not the quality of teams that you would have expected them to be to be facing in the knockout stage now that um, you know Germany's out and some of the other teams have kind of reshuffled around the around the bracket yeah and you know what I actually I actually believed that having that change of coach two days before the tournament on the eve of the tournament um, would actually bring the group closer together listen I know it's never ideal to change your coach of all people um, before a major tournament especially on the eve of it but with great teams and great players they find a way to come together and especially as a team as experienced as Spain who's accomplished as much as they have in recent years. Um, They're a great mix of those veterans who have won all those trophies as well as some young kids who continue to impress. And, I mean, I I think Isco is one of the most underrated players on the planet. If he wasn't on Real Madrid, if he was on any other club, we'd be talking about him week in, week out. Just he doesn't get the time he deserves on the pitch all the time. Um, But this is a Spain team that... With Diego Costa, they have a legit striker up top uh, who's looked pretty good in this tournament so far. Uh, And I think that gives them a real threat that they didn't necessarily have um, four years ago. Yeah, and Diego Aspas off the bench too. They have two pretty legit strikers. That was quite a finish uh, in that final group game. Um, Let's move on to Group C quickly. Um, I I don't think we need to talk too much about this group because Group C for me was probably the most boring of all the groups uh, in this World Cup, but uh, France, they go through first. They were expected to be the top of the group, but um, they didn't do that also convincingly, Um, and meanwhile Denmark, uh, they were able to claw their way in behind them ahead of Peru. Uh, I feel bad for Peru in a lot of ways just because they were another one of those sides who played exciting football, um, but they just couldn't seem to be clinical enough, Uh, certainly uh, missing a penalty against Denmark in that first game uh, kind of did them in. Yeah, they they were. That's exactly it. Their 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 turning point happened in the first game, and that really hurt them. Um, I also think Australia was very very disappointing. I mean, I I didn't expect them to do a whole much a whole lot in this tournament, but I thought they should have at least competed for a spot in the next round, and, and they couldn't do that. So hats off to Denmark and well deserved. And you're right, France. Uh, they kind of sailed through this. They they haven't looked spectacular, but um, 
I thought at times, especially Pogba stepped up. Um, so we'll see what they can do. I think they're a legit threat to win this competition, given the the talent on the squad. It's just we'll see if they can deliver. And I mean, they were awarded by coming in first with a date against Argentina or a date with Argentina on Saturday morning, which is an absolutely mouth-watering <laughs> tilt and um, one probably deserving of a final. But uh, it'll make for a heck of a round of 16 match, and, and we'll see what uh, what France can do when they're truly tested. It sure will make for a great match. And, uh, you know, for, for as boring as that final day of Group C was, uh, the final day of Group D certainly lived up to a lot of hype um, we didn't know until the very end which two teams would well we knew one of the teams obviously is Croatia um, they've probably been one of the most impressive teams of this competition so far um, pretty easily winning what's probably the most difficult group on paper in this tournament um, meanwhile um, Argentina they needed a late goal for Marcos Rojo of all people uh, incredible late volley but uh, pretty surprising uh, hero for them to, to get them past Nigeria who came oh so close to advancing uh, another one of those teams you kind of feel bad for a young Nigerian team that will be uh, solid uh, for the next World Cup if, if a lot of these players are able to take a step forward but um, they weren't able to advance and uh, Iceland the things kind of uh, you know finally melted for them they they came back down to earth so uh, a very interesting group in Group D as well yeah hats off to Croatia because um, they've arguably, maybe undoubtedly, have been the most ex- or the best team in the competition so far, or the most impressive, anyways. I mean, uh, when you manhandle Argentina the way they did, you, you deserve respect. And I know it's in Argentina, and I'll get to Argentina, who haven't looked that great, but Croatia deserve a ton of respect for what they've accomplished so far. Um, and I also think it speaks volumes the way they sent Kalinic home, um, without any doubts. You know, he didn't want to come on off the bench, and the team. They weren't standing for it, and it, it speaks of what a united front that the players, the, the the united front the team really is, and that the players really do care about what they represent and what their country back home represents, and, and I think that's really important. Um, as for Argentina, uh, listen, this is a side that's in trouble, and I know they they were very they were bailed out by Rojo, who I still wonder what the heck he was doing so far up the pitch at that point. I mean, <laughs> you know what he. Yeah, it worked for them, and I, 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 but great goal and fantastic. But I also think that he gave away a second penalty kick that wasn't called. Mm. Uh, I think the first penalty call was rather soft, so I will say that. And I don't, I don't know um, if that really should have been called. But I, I think that handball, I think for me, anyways, was a clear penalty kick, and I think Argentina were really, really fortunate that it wasn't given. To be fair, I never really know what Marcos Rojo is doing at any <laughs> any given time. Um, but yeah, certainly uh, certainly an interesting hero. And uh, but yeah, if if Marcos Rojo is the guy stepping up, and we saw another classic Gonzalo Higuain miss, um, this team just doesn't seem to to you know have been able to put it together on on the field so far. There's been a lot of kind of surprising decisions there's questions as to whether Sampaioli is even coaching the team anymore uh, there's a lot of uh Lionel Messi as as head coach jokes going around on Twitter right now um you know is there anything you can see this team changing that could um kind of prepare them for the next round because they're going into the really tough side of the bracket obviously they've got France right away so uh, this could be a pretty quick one and done for them in the knockout stages well for me some of these tactical decisions just don't make any sense and um i i just like you you need a goal you're desperate for a goal and aguero comes on with what nine minutes left in yeah. the game 
you know, um, and, and Dybala, who might be your most creative player, is left on the bench again. I just, um, I just don't get a lot of the decisions being made right now. It, to me, um, I think this is an Argentina side that does have talent, although there probably are some players I would have left off and taken on. I mean, I would take a Cardi over Higuain any day of the week, but um, I know he has his issues with the squad as well. Um, I just, I just don't get it. I don't think this is an Argentina side that's going to go very far. I think they'll be fortunate if they get past France. I just, I, I don't know. Honestly, I don't. It's it's a team that right now lacks a midfield and a defense, and <laughs> um, that's a problem. That's a problem. So we'll see what they can do. I just, I think there's a lot of question marks that will remain even if they get past France. Yeah, midfield and defense, uh, two pretty important things considering how modern <laughs> yeah. football, uh, you know, has evolved, <laughs> especially in, in knockout tournaments like this. It's usually the teams that uh, do those two things the best that uh, go on to win it. So, um, but at any rate, uh, Group B moving on. Um, another one of those groups that not a whole lot of surprise happened, but uh, there were some very entertaining games, specifically, uh, you know, Jaka's, or, or sorry, Jordan Shakiri's late goal um, to give Switzerland a, a dramatic victory over Serbia, which saw them through to, to the knockout stages behind Brazil. Um, Costa Rica, they, they obviously went out uh, kind of disappointingly, although uh, they did have potentially the first ever player who played for a Canadian club scoring a goal um, with Kendall Austin scoring for them today. So that's one exciting note. But, uh, you know, buried beneath uh, kind of a disappointing tournament for an older Costa Rican team who wasn't able to replicate the success they had at the last competition. Um, so, you know, for me, Brazil have been the most... Maybe not the most impressive because they haven't been overly impressive, but the most stable of the big teams so far, the, of the big favorite teams. They've been able to, you know, while they had some tough moments like the like the equalizing goal against the Swiss, um, for the most part, they've been able to navigate this tournament without uh, without falling behind, obviously, which is a huge thing, but also without too much turmoil. Yeah, Brazil, you, you might be very right about that, that out of all the favorites, they've probably looked the most convincing. Um, I mean, but that also remains, I, I don't know if you think England or Belgium are real contenders, but um, the thing is with Brazil, one, Neymar, I'm not the biggest Neymar fan. I mean, I think people like to compare him with that Messi and Ronaldo, and to me, he's not even in that conversation yet. Um, and, and I think we saw that in a game against like Costa Rica, for example, when they needed late heroics. And what really got to me was when he scored or when that second goal went in and we saw like the slit of the throat, like, listen, you guys <laughs> relax a little bit. It took a 90, what, a 91st minute goal to beat Costa Rica. I think there are questions still to be had, although I thought they looked pretty good today. Um, and I think Switzerland, hey, hats off to them. And, and honestly, what did you think of the eagle celebration? Shakiri's eagle. <laughs> yeah, that was interesting. Uh, Shakiri and Xhaka uh, and Lichtsteiner yep. apparently almost got banned for that, which would have been, literally would have almost put the Swiss out of this tournament, uh, especially once they got to the next round. 
Yeah, but you know what? And that's that's the emotion that goes into this. And mm. I can just imagine the emotions going through his mind when both of them, when they both put the ball in the back of the net, um, and what that must have felt like for them. And that's what makes this tournament so great and and so interesting to watch. Is that it's it's so much more than just a game on the pitch. And in terms of this group, we'll see what happens, and and we'll see what Brazil can do, and whether Neymar can prove me wrong anyways and be a winner that I, I just don't see him as um, and I don't know if he can lead a team to that greatness but again they have looked pretty good and they've got a stellar squad they do they've got the depth to make it happen so um, if if they can continue playing the way they have and and maybe progress and step up their game a little bit as the tournament progresses then, then they can really be a, a big contender and um, they meet Mexico in the in the round of 16 and to be honest what after the Mexico's performance today anyways I think Brazil should be able to get the job done and at least to reach the quarterfinal and from there anything can happen yeah speaking of Mexico's performance today that brings us to group F and uh, you mentioned these a little earlier but there's there's two real talking points coming out of today's results uh, the first obvious one is uh, you know Germany um, going out of the tournament. Uh, but the other one, of course, is Mexico, who uh, up until this last game looked like one of the best teams of, of this tournament so far. They've been incredibly good. Obviously, they beat Germany. Um, they beat South Korea very convincingly as well. But uh, at the final hurdle in the group stage, uh, they, they needed some help from that South Korean team in order to get through after a big 3-0 thrashing that was dealt to them by Sweden so all, all of a sudden obviously it does set up that game against Brazil in the round of 16 and once again uh, poor old Mexico looked like they might be going out in the round of 16 yeah and you know what it would have been such a cruel tournament if they were eliminated after what they had done in the first two matches mm-hmm. but um, you know what they did not play very well today and in a tournament like the World Cup you have to show up every game you can't afford not to and um, they almost paid the price for it today, but you're right. They owe, I'm hoping they're sending a whole lot of thank you baskets to South Korea today because um, they really, really do owe them. And it's nice to see a CONCACAF team get through, and it's nice to see, um, I think it'll be a pretty good game against Brazil. And to be honest, Mexico seems to be one of those teams that is able to step up to the competition when they need to and elevate their game against um, the bigger teams. And and Brazil is going to be a real, real test for them. But I think, listen, they beat Germany. There's no reason they can't and they shouldn't believe that they can get the job done against a team like Brazil. This is putting you in a a bit of a tough spot because obviously there's going to be a ton of articles and uh, maybe even some books written about uh, Germany going out at this tournament. So there's no one easy answer probably. But uh, for you, what was the biggest factor in uh, the Germans who, like you said off the top, I mean, obviously a lot of the last few World Cup uh, winners have gone out in the subsequent tournament. But you know, with that Spain team, with the Italy team, uh, you could kind of see cracks in there. It, it didn't appear to have to be any cracks in this German team. Uh, w- when Leroy Sané was left off the team, it was, you know, wow, they can leave off a player like Leroy Sané. Now, only now, it kind of seems to turn to, why did they leave off Leroy Sané? So, um, <laughs> and, and I'm not, not putting that uh, as the reason at all. There's, there's obviously a bunch of other reasons, but uh, what for you was the biggest one? Um, that is a tough question because I don't know if there was just one single reason. Um, but but I look at this team and I, I question things like um, even just up top, 
you know, who's the, the Mario Gomez is still <laughs> being looked at to score goals. You know, who's that legitimate number nine, that, that real striker up top that I don't know if they've developed that, um, or at least we haven't seen. So. Um, so, so I think that's a question. And I also wonder, I don't want to say lack of motivation because that's never the case, but maybe there was more pressure on them than we thought because um for me, I always hear, you know, Messi and Ronaldo and the pressure they must feel. But um, I can just imagine being a team that won the World Cup as, as a nation like Germany and as a country that expects to do well every year and to win every year. And the consistencies there, they've had the same coach since, what, 08? No, 06? Mm. Um, so I think that speaks volumes, and I think that's one of the reasons for their success. And um, I think there's going to be a lot of questions about what happens now. But... Um, I don't think they should overreact too much, and I don't think we should uh, count the Germans out and talk about this being the fall of Germany, um, because believe it, you better believe that in 2020 um, they're going to come to those European Championships and, and be ready to to fight, and they've got the talent. And you know what? Um, maybe we underestimated losing the veterans, guys like Lamb and guys like Schweinsteiger, right? Because um, they were often the heart of this Germany team, but we'll see what happens going forward. And again, I just, I, I wouldn't overreact and I wouldn't panic because Germany is still Germany and they've got a bright future ahead of them. Yeah, absolutely agree. Um, moving on to Group G, obviously these are the two groups that haven't concluded yet at the time of recording, but uh, Group G is the one that's basically wrapped up at this point. We're just uh, There's just one more game tomorrow, which will decide which of Belgium or England goes through in one or two. And this is going to be one of the kind of more interesting games of the World Cup in terms of uh, how these two teams play it, because um, there's a lot of thinking that, it, you know, if you win this group, then you kind of go into the tough side of the bracket up against a lot of the more difficult teams and um, a lot of the more experienced World Cup teams. But if you lose it, you're playing in a in a side with a lot of surprise teams, as I mentioned earlier. Um, but at the same time, both of these teams are, are you know, have, have had great starts to the tournament. England, they usually struggle against uh, some of the smaller teams, but so far have looked pretty good against them. Belgium's just been dominant throughout, so you won't want to kind of halt the hot streak in terms of the momentum you've been able to put forward. Um, so in terms of how these two teams uh, go into this game, it'll definitely be very interesting. Yeah, and you're right. Um, you probably don't want to win this game, um, which is not the right attitude to say or the right thing to say or the right attitude to have, but um, it's the truth because, you know, you look at the table and you look at the options and you're going to meet whoever comes in first place in the group featuring, you know, Japan, Senegal, Colombia, Poland. Um, so chances are it, it'll be... I'm thinking Japan, I mean, although that whole group is absolutely nuts, so you never know. But regardless, um, you you meet one of them. You're going to meet Colombia, Japan, or Senegal. Um, if you get by that, you got Sweden or Switzerland. And not to count either of those teams out and not to speak lightly of either of those teams because I've talked about how impressive um, or how good they've looked at times throughout this tournament already, but you would probably rather face them than a Brazil, right? Mm-hmm. So... Um, you got to take that into account, but at the same time, you got to go into the game and, and do your best. And, and I don't know. I, I'm a, I'm a fence sitter here. Like, <laughs> if if you're Belgium, if you're England, what do you do right now? Like, do you try to go out and win this game? 
Um, the other the other thing too is like neither of them have really been tested so far this tournament. So like, do you know? Do you want to make sure that um, you have a game against you know a top opposition team and you know you can beat them? Because there's another level to that where um, you know if you go into this into the next round having obviously got huge results against uh, against a Panama or a Tunisia and then. Uh, but you know, had a nil-nil draw, very boring, or or one-nil win uh, over England, uh, or the other way. Um, are you overly confident that you can go against some of these bigger teams, which you will eventually face if you want to go on a deep run of this World Cup? Um, so it's interesting from that regard too. You know, you want to you want to make sure that you're battle tested, and this is your best opportunity in the group to be battle tested. Yeah, but you're 100 percent right, and you do want to make sure that you're ready and prepared and and able to, you know, do what you need to do when the games really, really matter. But at the same time, if you can get to the semifinals, potentially, without meeting Brazil, Argentina, Germany, uh, Spain, France, listen, that's that's an opportunity that <laughs> most teams would beg for, right? So you got to look at, at both sides of the fence here. And honestly, um, this is one of those games in those rare situations where the loser really will be rewarded. Yeah, the other thing, of course, too, is that um, if if they do draw, it's it's fair play points that go through. So uh, you, you wonder if like one of the teams is going to send on a backup keeper or something to just haul some guy down late in the game and get a red card and uh, get get the team put in second. Yeah, um, certainly a weird tiebreaker there, but. Um, it would make sense. Funny. It, it yeah, would make sense funny. if you didn't want to finish second, like in terms of the fair play. But now, now with how this uh, how this group's shaping out, like you said, um, there's there's a ton of different interesting permutations uh, for this one, um, and. And of course, they're going to play uh, the Group H or one of the teams from Group H. And uh, for me, Colombia is the the most interesting out of this group. Um, of course, Poland are already out, which is kind of surprising. Um, Japan and Senegal, they're still in with a, a chance along with Colombia. But um, if they can keep all their players on the field, which obviously they couldn't in the first game, uh, Colombia looked fantastic against Poland in that second game. Uh, Hamas just seems to be one of those players who, uh, when he pulls on the shirt for his country, he's just a completely different player. It was so fantastic in that second game. And I know Colombia has been a lot of people's kind of dark horse pick for uh, this tournament. And again, they're on that side of the bracket where things can kind of open up a little bit. Um, could you see them potentially going on a run if they can, you know, um, put things together in their final group game here? Absolutely. Um, had they not been a man down for basically the whole, their whole opening match, um, they, I don't think they would have fallen the way they did. And I think this is a Colombia team that's really, really good. Um, when they are firing on all cylinders and they're playing their best, um, and they beat a Poland team that I had top in the group, um, I really am very shocked to see what happened with Poland, especially against that game, or especially with that game against Colombia. Um, Poland has so much firepower and and they've got some stellar players. I mean, yeah, you got Lewandowski, but you've you've also got guys like Zielinski and Milik, and um, they just I I don't know what happened to them. But credit Colombia for dominating the way they did. And you're right, Hamas is just absolutely ridiculous when he's playing for his country. And there's a few players like that um, who, for their country, they are incredible. And I'm not saying he's not good for his club but um he seems like to be an, he seems to be another player um when he's playing for his country and um 
I think I really do believe that Colombia can go on a run. And you're right, if they finish second in the group, um, then then they've got an interesting match against either Belgium or England, and um, that's when yeah. Sorry, I'm just I'm excited. Uh, I'm really really excited for the next round. And I think if you're a Colombian fan, if you get if if they can progress, um, watch out. Yeah, for sure. And uh, looking back at the group stage as a whole, um, obviously, kind of the knockout rounds are are where players can kind of cement their legacy and score those big goals that um, get them remembered forever. But um, is there any player from these first three games that's kind of uh, stood out to you, Marco, as a player who um, has surprised you and impressed you in this tournament? Um, that's actually a very interesting question. Um, surprised and impressed. I mean, I, I can't say surprised. Uh, Cristiano Ronaldo, mm. uh, he's, he's been putting on, he put on a performance like nobody else against Spain. Um, but I don't, I don't know if there's one player that really stands out to me. Not, not yet anyways. Um, although I, I look at Croatia and I mean, there's, there's a few players that's there that, um, you can't help but be impressed with, you know, whether it's uh, the Perisic, the Modric. I mean, all, all the all the itches. They're, they're all, you know, it's it's a really good team. Um, and, and Mandzukic as well. He plays in a different role for Juventus, but um, with Croatia, he, he gives you that that legit striker up top. And um, I just I just think that all of Croatia. If I look at that team, they they've they have as a unit. Um, been the talk of the tournament so far and rightfully so because they've done it throughout the group stage in Mexico before today we, we maybe would have said that they were the talk of the tournament but um, again anything can happen on any given day in the World Cup yeah, that's actually, it's kind of a good point in terms of how, uh, other than maybe Cristiano Ronaldo, it's it's been more team performances that have gotten the job done versus individuals at this World Cup, even with uh, Brazil and Neymar. I mean, it's, it's almost been Coutinho has been uh, their driving yeah. force so far, and uh, it's been the Brazil team as a whole that's been able to, to get the job done versus just Neymar um, scoring in the big moments. So uh, that's certainly certainly something to look at as we progress in this tournament. Um, another thing that's definitely been prevalent in this group stage has been VAR. Um, it's been used basically every day at this tournament where we'll see the ref uh, just do his little box with his hands there. Um, certainly we know what uh, uh, Norton Amrabat's uh, kind of um, thoughts are on it, kind of uh, you know saying that it was BS um, to cameras after Morocco were eliminated. But um, there's been a lot of drama that's been contributed to it from the tournament so far uh what have you made of a var in its first world cup and um you know what's worked and what hasn't i really like far all right um I'm, I'm, a, I'm a big proponent of it does it have its issues yeah it does um and i get why people can be frustrated with it but at the same time it it's not the system that you can get angry at it's it's the referee if you don't like the decision it's the referee. It's not VAR that's not overturning the call or, or making the decision. It's he's getting that signal from the control control panel, and he's being told, you know what, he, you might want to look at this. And he's getting another chance to see the situation. And at the end of the day, he's the one making the call. Um, so although it might take a little while, and it could take a couple of minutes, and that can be frustrating sometimes, 
Um, I'd rather wait the two minutes or three minutes that it takes to get the call right um, than to debate and argue about the call for the next three weeks. But the problem is that there's some calls that are are not black and white. Um, it's not clear as day. And for that, VAR is not going to be able to give you the answer you're looking for because um, there are those areas of gray. And you know what? I'm still not sure what a handball <laughs> is after these group stage because um, I just don't get it. And that VAR is not going to be able to solve. Yeah, I'd agree. I think it's the it's kind of the wording of the rules that's been the big issue, and that's not something that obviously uh, is an issue with VAR. That's uh, that's an issue with the rule book, and that that would have been a problem throughout. Um, a couple of things I've liked what I've seen from VAR is one of them. It seems to be a big deterrent against diving in the box for penalties because obviously the Neymar uh, penalty call back against Costa Rica that's a penalty if uh, if not for VAR so um, that, that's a big benefit there that perhaps it's you know players will think twice before uh, taking a tumble in the box and um, yeah I think for the most part anything any call that's been kind of controversial with with VAR has been because the rules are kind of poorly worded versus um, it actually being a a problem with the review system yeah and my i i listen i i have some questions and some issues with some decisions being made and again that has to do with um referees not not var like for me and you might disagree that that ronaldo elbow is a red card all day to me i mm. mean you can't a little bit elbow somebody you either did or you didn't and that's where that yellow card to me doesn't make sense um, you know, if, if it's an elbow, it's it's a red, um, and in that moment, in that time, the ref wanted nothing to do with sending Cristiano Ronaldo off the pitch, um, and I get that. You know, I mean, I I, know I don't get that because you got to make the decision, but um, it is what it is, and VAR is not the reason that he wasn't sent off the pitch, um, and so yeah, sometimes there's frustration, but it is what it is, and um, we're never gonna have a, a game regardless of how many replays we have where we're not going to argue or debate about some of the calls um, despite the evidence yeah and let's let's move on now to to the round of 16 just quickly uh, look at the matchups we won't fully preview them or anything just because uh, you know we'll we'll do that on the weeks ahead um, but um, you know some interesting matchups here for sure um, here's what we have confirmed obviously we don't know fully the results of uh, G&H as we record this, but um, we do know that England and Belgium are through, and so they'll play uh, one of Colombia, um, uh, Japan, or Senegal. Uh, but the ones that are confirmed are Uruguay playing Portugal, Russia against Spain, France, Argentina, Denmark, Croatia, Mexico, Brazil, and Switzerland, Sweden. Um, which of those matches, Marco, is, is kind of the must-watch for you of that group? Oh, France Argentina yeah. has to stand out. Um, but like I said, that's that's a match that is fitting for a final. Um, and I I know Argentina hasn't looked very good so far, and we've talked about it earlier. But they're still Argentina, and you never know what they're going to be able to produce on any given day. And it's the same with France. But with that said, there's also Uruguay Portugal, which I think will be very very exciting and. Mexico Brazil also really stands out to me as well. I don't know if uh, I don't know if exciting is how I describe Uruguay Portugal, but it'll definitely be fun. To, <laughs> <Good> <laughs> it'll definitely point. be fun Very to uh, 
to kind of see what the result is out of that because I've heard uh, a good description of this matchup is Portugal or the Uruguay of uh, of Europe and uh, Uruguay or the Portugal of South America so they kind of play that similar defensive style and uh, they could grind to, to quite a result there yeah you know what um, and again I'm still waiting to see that Portugal um, they had the one clean sheet in the opening three games but um, they haven't looked like the side they did in 2016 although in 2016 they they got through from the group stage of finishing in third as a wild card so I mean maybe we have we've yet to see the best from them I just I just think Uruguay's looked really really impressive so far and um, they have looked incredible defensively and I mentioned the likes of Cavani and Suarez up top I mean what more could you want? So um, we'll see what what this what this match holds. But um, I I really think Uruguay. Um, I I would like my chances if I'm a Uruguayan fan. And speaking of teams like Portugal who haven't really looked like themselves this year, uh, let's let's finish up with some Toronto FC talk. Um, it's been kind of refreshing for me, honestly, as someone who covers Toronto FC to to get into this World Cup and uh, to not have to talk about Toronto FC too much uh, lately because um, they came out of the World Break or World Cup break, of course, a 11-day World Cup break that was kind of supposed to be potentially a turning point for their season in terms of the rest that could be that could be given to the players, uh, both mentally and physically, um, and they came pretty came up pretty flat in a two-one. Uh, lost to New York away from home I I don't think that's that bad of a result overall New York obviously are one of the best teams in Major League Soccer but uh, it was the performance that really concerned me that they just uh, again once again they just obviously they took a lead and then uh, couldn't hold it yeah it's it's frustrating and um, I I think it's time for the excuses to stop I think um, because I've been one of the the people talking and I, I've been saying all year that you know what wait till they're healthy give them some time when the games really start to matter they'll they'll get there and there's no league um, in all of professional sports where the regular season is as irrelevant once you get to the playoffs as MLS right I mean um, really there is no home field advantage besides that opening round knockout match um, you're playing one game in each stadium, and yeah, sometimes you'd prefer to play the second game at home, but I don't think it really gives you that much of an advantage. Um, and again, if you get to the MLS Cup Final, then it's a different story, but um, once you get to the dance, you have a chance. And now the question becomes whether they really can get to the dance, because they don't look the same team. And I don't mean that um, in terms of quality on the pitch, because they've got the talent, but they don't look as motivated. They don't look hungry. I mean, listen, the body language on that second goal said it all. Mm. That was that was just way too easy for New York on that counterattack. Um, and this is a team that's desperate for wins. And you're playing the, one of the best teams in the Eastern Conference. And um, that's what we saw. And, and I think that's the frustrating thing is that, um, yeah, they still got some significant injury problems you know you still got more in Altidore oh that hurts but um there's no excuse for for the lack of honestly the lack of will or the lack of trying that we saw sometimes and that that is frustrating yeah I've been uh I've been kind of the same way as you mentioned uh you know 
on evidence, I thought, once this team got back and healthy and some of the, some of the key players returned even once, uh, you know, a couple. Honestly, I thought once once one solid center back returned and they didn't have to play Michael Bradley as a center back, the results yep. would instantly come. But they absolutely haven't, and it's basically been the same issues all over again. Um, and l- like you said, very concerning. Um, stats website 538 um, they have Toronto FC as a 48% chance to make the playoffs. That's the lowest it's been all season. So obviously um, that says it's more unlikely uh, than it's likely that they will. Do you kind of agree with that assessment that it, at this point in the season, um, you know, it's it seems pretty unlikely that Toronto FC is going to be able to turn this around because they, they just can't seem to get any momentum. Anytime they're able to win a game, um, they basically lose the next one. That's the thing is that they lack the consistency um, and that hurts. But at the end of the day right now, they're just six points out of that last playoff spot. So, and they've got a game in hand on the union, right? So uh, although it seems like it's a mountain to climb and it is because they've still got to get by what four teams in between. um, It's, it's not, the end of the world as long as they can start playing like the or like a Toronto FC team that we can recognize um, because right now I don't know um, where the leadership is and and maybe that's the the thing that's hurting the most is because this was a team that um, when the games really mattered and when the crunch time came they got it done and we haven't seen that recently um, and we haven't seen that really since the CONCACAF Champions League. And you know what? Um, maybe we're underestimating the toll that that really took on this team and especially losing the way they did in the final. Um, and then knowing you've got an entire season to go. And again, I think we also can't understate that that this is a team that's played a whole lot of football in the last two seasons, right? Or mm-hmm. the last two and a half seasons now. I mean, they've been playing into mid-December and then basically training camp starts and you're getting going in, what, end of January? So I, that, I guess, also that accumulative toll maybe needs to be taken into account too. But at the same time, that, that will and that hunger um, isn't there right now. Obviously, in terms of looking for answers, um, there is a summer transfer window coming up. And Toronto FC, um, obviously, it's anyone's guess how much salary cap space they have exactly, considering all of MLS's rules. But, um, you know, any projections wouldn't amount to much. But potentially, uh, they might be able to add a player. They might have to move some other players. Is there any kind of style of player you could see them bringing in that could potentially um, make a bit of a difference right now in terms of uh, what's been missing this season? Honestly, I'm not sure if if one player is really going to make that much of an impact. I mean, especially once your your health or your injured bodies do come back, right? I think um, Josie Altador was really, is has been really missed. Um, and that was pretty evident in that that game against DC when Nick Hagelin was required to score two goals, right? With, but because they lacked, they were whipping balls in, but they lacked that big body to get to the end of it, and that's where they needed to throw Nick Hagelin up there because he could provide that. Um, and and so when you get a big body back to play with Jovinko and to play with Vasquez, I think that'll make a huge difference. And um, I don't think Ricketts has been able to step up to the plate when he's been asked to this season, and I think that. That, that's been a little bit of an issue, but I mean, uh, and again, d- defensively, you talked about, I mean, 
um, the merry-go-round at the back and until you get everybody back healthy. And I think more, you know, that leadership that he brings from that back um, is sorely missed right now. Yeah, I'm wondering if, if they might want to bring in uh, kind of a discount Josie if they can. Obviously, yeah. Josie Altador will yeah. come back soon, but kind of like, uh, kind of a big number nine uh, to be able to knock down some balls for them, uh, you know, uh, get on the end of some of their crosses. And even um, with Seba up there, anytime you play a long ball, uh, it's basically just giving possession to the other team. It's not... It's not necessarily his fault. That's not his strong suit. But uh, just having a player up there, and they thought potentially they had that in Ben Spencer and maybe even Jordan Hamilton, but neither of those players have uh, really been able to to put it together so far this year. So I wonder if uh, um, obviously Ben Spencer got released as well. I, I'm wondering if uh, if potentially that's something they look at. Obviously um, that might cost them a little bit, but if they could get you know even even a discount player of 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 you know that skill set in terms of a traditional number nine maybe that would be something they could look at yeah just to you know back up um josie when he isn't able to because you're right unfortunately um spencer nor um jordan have been able to step uh jordan hamilton have been able to step up to the, the plate and it's unfortunate because i think there was a lot of hope with hamilton and um we just haven't seen that pan out and he's he's been given his chances and he's had opportunities and um, he hasn't been able to make the most of them and you wonder how many chances he he gets you know um, and whether TFC does decide to bring somebody else in which um, would be unfortunate but it is what it is and you know what in this league in, in this industry in this game if you're not able to, to, to step up when you're needed to then you probably won't last too long yeah, I wonder if it just needs to be a change of, of scenery for Jordan Hamilton. He's been at Toronto FC for so long and kind of, you know, stuck behind two of the best strikers in MLS history and hasn't been given all that. Obviously, he's gotten his chances, but um, to some degree, he hasn't been given all that much leeway to, to get in the starting lineup and any chance he's gotten. Uh, even when he has done well, sometimes he's been taken out just because, you know, you're never going to start Jordan Hamilton over um, some of those players. So I wonder if potentially with the new Canadian League or, or something else, it, it might just be time for Jordan Hamilton to move on. Yeah, you know what, that's um, that's a good point. We'll see what all happens with the CPL once it's officially launched and once they begin play next year. And, um, you know what, Hamilton might be able to become a superstar over there and and take advantage of more playing time and develop and, and you know, um, perfect his game so that he can find more playing time at, at the MLS level. But um, right now at Toronto, see, it isn't panning out for him. And maybe you're right. Maybe if he goes to another club, another team, and, and is able to get on the pitch a little bit more often, that that's exactly what he needs. And that would be great for the Canadian national team as well. Well, we'll, we'll wrap up the show on that note. Um... Marco, I uh, really, really appreciate you joining me today. Uh, definitely, as you said, super excited for the next uh, second half of this World Cup. The first half was incredibly fun. Um, so, yeah, thanks for thanks for coming on. No, the pleasure was all mine. And um, thank you for having me on. I really appreciate it. No problem. Uh, and thank you, everyone, of course, for listening. Uh, stay tuned to the Footy Talks live Twitter account uh, because we're potentially going to be uh, announcing a couple of events coming up in, in connection to the World Cup, so you're not going to want to miss those. Um, and we'll be back next week talking uh, some knockout round games at the World Cup, which is crazy considering how quickly all this has flown by. Uh, but until then, have a good week, everyone.